bureaucracy's basement to your ears, this is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. Each week, the dedicated staff of the Bureau meet to file reports, make recommendations, and survive on water that drips from the boiler pipes into their open mouths as they sleep on a bed of dot matrix printer paper. One day, maybe, we'll escape from the subterranean hell that is this basement, but until that day comes, the city is not going to improve itself. So here we stay, improving things. This meeting is now in session. Hello. Oh, hello. How are you doing today? Um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little sore, so uh, I've thought maybe we could uh, do some morning yogurt. Oh, um, sure. What did you have in mind? Uh, well, um, downward you dog know, stretches, downward dog yogurt, um, a fruit bottom yogurt, uh, where you have to mix it in uh, that, you know, just all, all those things, all the benefits that yogurt can bring. Uh, apparently I, we have to get yogurt mats. Yep. Yogurt mats. So I don't know what those are. They're essential yep. to a good gut biome. Oh, Okay. That that is true. Yeah, you you put the mat down. I mean, I I thought it was because maybe like people are really messy yogurt eaters. Uh, oh, there's the leopard. We should try feeding him. We should maybe 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 he'd like some yogurt. I think leopards love yogurt. If there's if there's one thing, geez, if there's one thing we know, leopards love yogurt. We should uh, should we take attendance? We should. All right. Um, first attendee is a uh, noise to help. Noise to help? No. Noise to help. Are you sure you're pronouncing uh, that right? Yeah. Uh, noise to help. Yes. Anyway, uh, apparently born uh, born Trevor Bartles in 1982. To uh, help took uh, took on his new name when he got lost in Banff National Park on a trip with friends. And when he was found seven days later, claimed that uh, he had invented a new language and culture that he called Dutch. So, and changed his name to Noyce to help because he said it was a Dutch name. Uh, when he was told about the existence of the Netherlands, he declared them heretical uh, false Dutch and tried to found a new nation in northern Alberta called, um, he called Dutchland, uh, where people could be free to, quote, Ride bicycles on polders and enjoy scenic windmills without government interference. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, he was last seen riding his bicycle on a polder. And that's it? That's it. And he's going to come here? Uh, he should be here already. Um, I don't see him. No, I don't think he's here. Sorry. Oh, wait. I, sorry. I think I... Hold on. Uh, I think I got... The letter's mixed up. Just a second. It should be Paul Chen. That's me. Oh, great. Okay, you're yeah, here. I am. Okay, I'll, I'll mark you as present. Um, oh, and okay, we've got a second attendee. Uh, Aid Ann Morgan. Aid Dan Morgan? Aid Ann Morgan. Aid Ann Morgan. Oh, yeah, no. Definitely not would you, here. Would you like to hear about? Would you, would you like to hear about Aid or Ide and Morgan? Sure. 
Sure. Okay. Well, here, here's what I have for background on him. Uh, in the 54th century, the warring clans of Anmore and Gan were poised to destroy the entire solar system in their never-ending quest for control of um, trade routes or something. A small group of science heroes working with genetic samples came together to produce Aid Anmore Gan, the one prophesized to lead the way. But the evil Mary Man corrupt advisor to the clans knocked him back through time to the 21st century on his 33rd birthday. Now he lives in the barbarous present uh, on earth, uh, searching for a way back to his rightful time. You know, I don't think this person is going to attend our meeting because they're not here yet, but I would watch the hell out of that TV series. I know. Right. Yeah. It sounds great. Um, so, but yeah, I, I was hoping you'd be here to yeah. explain a little bit about the future to us. Um, oh, hold on. You know what? Um, you know, I actually didn't even mess up the, the letters. I, I just got the spacing a little wrong. should um, be uh, Aiden Morgan. That's you. You're Aiden Morgan. That's me. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's me. Yeah. Right on then. Yeah. Yes, I am. Okay, good. I'm here too. Do we have quorum? We do not. But we should go forward with the meeting. I believe uh, I believe we have uh, some other people uh, here in the office tonight. I can yeah. see them in the, crouching in the corner. Yes. Yeah. We we have a couple of counselors with us, actually. A couple new counselors. What? Infamous members of the infamous... Gang of five. Whoa, whoa. I just, I gotta, should we get weapons or something? That that sounds really dangerous. She'll, they sound like an ideological threat, Paul. Uh, and unfortunately, I invited them in, so there's nothing we can do. We have Counselor uh, Dan LeBlanc and Counselor Cheryl Stadnichuk with us tonight. Uh, hey, thanks for coming in to uh, join us this evening, guys. Yeah, You're thanks welcome. for having us. So... The reason we wanted to have you here is uh, your first executive committee meeting of 2021 seems to have taken a turn towards the the cluster (laughs) in that, uh, Dan, you introduced an amendment to the city's sponsorship, naming rights, and advertising policy. Now, I went into this thinking this was going to be, you know, 15 minutes and done, and then we'd never hear about it again. And uh, you decided to introduce an amendment to the restriction section, things that uh, the city would not accept sponsorship or advertising from. Uh, Could you talk a little bit about what that amendment was and what was going through your head when you introduced that? Sure. Yeah, so the policy that came in front of us is pretty good in saying there's a real difference between sort of advertising and partnering in that when you're partnering or in this case, advertising specifically on city business, it sort of implies the city and the organization are pulling in the same direction. And so because of that, it creates this restricted list, you know, uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and then guns, basically, that we don't want to align with. And it seemed to me, given the city's commitment to be a sustainable city by 2050, that it was inconsistent with the direction we're pulling in to be partnering with oil and gas companies in that way. So I think, you know, the time is quickly approaching 
when we're going to have to begin that phase out. And so that was essentially the reason for the motion. Right. Yeah. And, and what it would restrict is just how companies can advertise on city property, how they can get naming rights and so on. So nothing about how they could operate. You know, we're not regulating oil and gas companies in the way a provincial government can, for example, wouldn't have any effect on jobs, at least directly. Right. Right. Um, you mentioned that the, the current list, which <clears throat> the current restrictions list, which is uh, weapons manufacturers, uh, uh, body rub establishments, um, which the city just recently uh, legislated, cannabis shops, alcohol. Um, yeah, tobacco. Said, yeah, tobacco. You said sex and drugs and rock and roll. Are you planning to introduce a restriction against rock and roll soon? Why do you well, hate rock and roll, Dan? Well, I hate rock and roll because I don't understand it. Same <laughs> as everyone, <laughs> frankly. And uh, yeah, I mean, if I thought it would pass, I might introduce that. But given the week we'd have, I'm a bit gun shy at this point. <laughs> well, at least at least you're not talking about country and western. Though. That would really blow up in our face. That's right. Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. 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 No more Hank Williams on the air. We'd have right. a, no more Travis Tritt. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I know that within a few minutes of the word getting out that, uh, that this had passed, because it, it, it passed with a seven to five vote, that uh, well, my Twitter feed four. exploded. Four. Sorry? Seven, seven to four. four. I, you know, I keep saying seven to five. I don't know what's wrong with my brain. Um, that was the way you would have cast your vote, Paul. That's probably what you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. I would totally would have voted against. Um, <laughs> Uh, Cheryl, what's the response that uh, councillors have faced in the wake of this decision? Well, it's been uh, relentless, I will say. Um, I think that it it escalated very quickly with a Premier's uh, tweet. Um, and then, of course, with um, a certain talk show host, talk show host right-wing talk show host, talk show host, that's hard to say, a right-wing talk show host who uh, really um, exploded about on this as well, and it became quite inflammatory. So there's been different kinds of uh, approaches. So there's been, um, you know, residents from my ward who have been contacting me either by phone or email. There's been um, a, a couple of lobbies from today. We, we saw a new lobby from... Canadian Association of Petroleum Produce Producers. So they did some kind of a form letter that was across uh, Canada. And so that quickly was filling up the email. I think there was 500 emails from them um, within an hour today. So luckily there's a, there's a whole, you can do an email <laughs> um, rule that uh, puts everything into a folder so that it doesn't clog up your email. But what's been most valuable for me is the, um, the thoughtful discussions from residents. So people have called me and they've, they've, they've had some really, um, uh, you know, they said, well, is this really, I support environmental issues. I support moving towards hundred percent sustainability, but is, this really going to get us there? Um, and I've had a lot of other, you know, uh, 
comments from people. Um, calling people back has been an interesting experience too, because people, I think between the premier and Gormley's comments, it, it just created anger. And I think it became pure emotion. And there was a couple of times I'd ask people, well, I just need to know exactly why you're, why you're opposed to this. I just need to understand it. And they, they were just angry. They just wanted to be angry. And, but overall, when I call people back, um, had very good discussions with people and they really appreciated that I called them back. So it's been um, a really good experience. That's good. Well, it's been a negative experience, a tough experience, but also a good experience because, you know, it, it means that there are a lot of people who are willing to have a reasonable discussion with you and not just get to that flared up with hate. Now, the premier's response was pretty unexpected, and it came like four hours, four hours after you guys <laughs> took the vote. And he, uh, uh, just going from memory, he uh, was outraged that you had done this and threatened to uh, threatened the funding to the city. Like the, uh, well, I guess they were grants in lieu, but the, uh, the money that the, uh, the crowns, the uh, two uh, energy crowns and uh, so Sask Energy, Sask Power, the money that they give to the city, he very blatantly threatened that in his tweet. Uh, Dan, uh, how did, okay. How did you find out that the, the premier had done this and what was your first thought when you, when you heard about this? Yeah. So I actually found out I had some uh, members of media call me and tell me about the tweet. And then uh, I said, I hadn't seen it. Give me a few minutes. And I went to look at that. Um, so that was how I found out. And then I got back on the call and had the discussion. And my initial thought really was, well, sort of threefold. One is, I don't see how that's any of his business, um, what we're up to. That seems well within the city's wheelhouse. The second one was, um, I thought it was very inflammatory. Clearly, it seemed to me he's trying to light up his base, if I can use that sort of language. So it's... Uh, you know, there's easy ways to frame that in a week, which is pretty rough for COVID. And that makes good sense to me. And the third one was just not the legality so much, although there's something there, but the the logic of it. So essentially, in my view, those those energy surcharges are just city property taxes by another name. And we have a different organization collect them for us and return them to us dollar for dollar. And frankly, it just doesn't make a lick of sense to take money designed for city services and distribute them outside that city. And I think we'd have some pretty natural recourse if that did happen. And again, we're not going to get into a legal fight with the province, but just what that highlights is some of the hollowness, I think, of a threat like that. And so that's why it made me think he was just sort of you know, stepping into our lane and in some ways really signaling to his base or to some of his supporters, not just in Regina, but across Western Canada, um, to sort of be very wary about actions aimed at sustainability. Well, those are my responses. The, the other thing I'd say too on that is that he should know of anyone that this was um, at the executive committee level, it wasn't a final decision the premier in the legislature would know that a bill is not a final 
decision. It still has to go through a process before it is finally legislation. So he, it was totally unnecessary to do that tweet. He could have, you know, used the diplomatic channels to raise concerns about it. Um, and I think that's healthier for a democracy. Well, it suggested to me that what, what, uh, what Dan was kind of saying that by using it, by, by framing it in a tweet instead of by diplomatic channels, he's really talking to other people. He's really talking to his base and not, not directly to, to the city of Regina. Yeah, that, that's certainly how I perceived it, yeah. yeah. Did you guys face any more disturbing uh, pushback? from you know in emails or social media or anything like that i um i mean uh, there's there's there are a lot of emails that i haven't even read yet but there were some fake comments on twitter and facebook and then some emails that said i should be uh uh removed from office and i don't uh represent the citizens that i have my own political agenda that I don't have any, um, I obviously don't have the sense to be in this position. So, so no um, personal threats, but I think other counselors did get some more nasty threats. Yeah, Dan, how about you as the, uh, the drafter of this amendment? Yeah, uh, more sort of economic pressure, I think in the way Cheryl's referencing. So, you know, people making, I think sort of, attempted like cancel culture petitions trying to get me to resign in a I think a weird way to draw some kind of false equivalence between you know folks who make really racist or homophobic comments and folks who put forward stuff like this and so some of that kind of stuff and then some folks reaching into uh, my other job as a lawyer and essentially trying to cancel me there so a little bit of that I Luckily, didn't have threats directly against myself or my family physically, but again, had heard comments of that sort um, amongst other counselors. I want to echo one of the things Cheryl said, which is this strange disconnect that's sort of been uh, maybe overanalyzed, but essentially that people are much meaner on Facebook than they are when you get them on the phone. I had these like remarkable experiences where I would get this just vicious voicemail from someone who would, you know, call me all these swear words, say, call me back now, such and such. And then I'd get on the phone with them and explain who I am. And they're like, oh, hello, Counselor LeBlanc, a pleasure to meet you by the telephone. What the hell are you doing? You know, like, it, it's such a, it's such a remarkable state. Like it, it gave me the sense on Facebook that there are, you know, like dozens of like, fascists within the city you know like real ones and then actually they're just like fine people who have nothing to do but be on facebook until i call them and we have a great chat and it's it's been really jarring to me how much of that gets lost just through the medium actually so it wasn't as offensive as it seemed to folks who were just watching what was happening online i would say uh, so we're on 91.3 FM CJTR. This is the Queen City Improvement Bureau, and we're speaking with counselors Dan LeBlanc and Cheryl Stadnichuk. Cheryl, I understand that you've been receiving a lot of emails from a Chamber of Commerce uh, web form. Um, like, what kind of what kind of people are 
emailing you from the Chamber of Commerce? Well, it's um, it's an interesting, I don't know what kind of a platform, if that's the correct word, platform they're using. Oops, I got to turn off my phone there. I don't know what kind of a platform they're using um, to send these emails, but we it's all, all people have to do, I guess, on their website. I haven't even gone to their website, is put their name in. So we're getting all of these emails, like, you know, Joe, Joe Burton from Regina opposes the, the motion and blah, blah, blah. And it was this constant, constant. But then we saw a stream of very comical names. So somebody decided they were going to either make a mockery of the Chamber's campaign or just have fun. So some of the names included Johnny Rockefeller, Krusty Crab, Sideshow Mel, <laughs> an oligarchy, the loudest and the angriest, Benson and or Hedges, Sideshow Bob, Clark DC Kent, and olive oil. Like there was there was quite a, a quite a long list. So some so it did make it more difficult to know exactly how big their lobby was, because there could be a real Bruce Willis who lives in Regina. Or it could have been someone who's just playing around with us. Um, so, so it does make their their lobby was a little bit less effective than maybe they hoped. Yeah. Of the names you sent me, my personal favorite was the smooth taste of a cigarette after a long day of work. Yeah. <laughs> when, you, when, when the Gang of Five were elected, I think there was a lot of hope that uh, – you counselors, uh, as the Kidneyac, Stevens, Mole, um, would be sort of championing these kinds of uh, green initiatives and this kind of, uh, you know, having sustainability and environmental concerns intrude into all aspects of city decision making. Uh, so the first time you do it, it completely explodes in your face. Premier, everybody is up at arms. Um, uh, well, first to you, Landon, is this uh, pushback going to discourage you from uh, moving these kinds of amendments and keeping this sort of like environmental mindedness uh, top of mind for you? I mean, I think that's, I think that would be a natural response. And I think it's one everybody on council ought to resist. And um, I, I think it's clear from the folks I heard from you know, probably 20%, I would say, are proper climate deniers. Um, they didn't have much impact on me. Um, but everybody else seemed to understand that we have to get moving on this stuff, even people who disagreed with me. And what I hope happens is sort of twofold. One is those folks hold up to what they told me on the phone and, in fact, encourage sustainable developments at, you know, a pace that's a bit slower than we were looking for here, but is hopefully still meaningful. And the second one is, I'm hopeful that this response to the motion, which I would say was quite predictable, um, has showed people in a way what we're up against. And so the community knows and we know um, that it's likely we're going to have to be quite resolute and have good backbones to push this kind of stuff through, which I think is not just the five of us you mentioned, but also several other councillors' mandates uh, that they ran on. And so I think we owe it to folks to 
further the sustainability movement. Um, and there's going to be pushback in the steps along the way. And so I hope people will back us, even if they didn't back us on this one. How about you, Cheryl? How are yeah, you? Thinking? I was going to say that um, I'm, I'm really tired of hearing that uh, some of us have a hidden agenda. Uh, my platform was very clear, as many others, that um, I want to move forward on the sustainability um, uh, motion that, that, that the city council passed last year with a lot of public input. And right now the city is moving towards, we're gonna, there's going to be consultation around an energy and sustainability framework so that we can talk about some of the steps and things that we can be doing to, to move forward um, on this issue. So, so it, it's, it's all so above board, it's all so clear. And the other thing I want to say is that, um, you know, some of the, the uh, recent climate events that we've seen shows the urgency to take action. I cannot recall ever having um, um, freezing rain in January and we're going to need, you know, our, our, it's going to cost the city. We're going to have to have uh, more more repairs of our roads because of the, the, the wacky weather, uh, more sanding, more problems with ice. So these are these are costs to the city. We do need to take action. Yeah, if I can piggyback on one thing, one uh, just on Cheryl's comment about us folks being accused of having a hidden agenda. I got several strange comments throughout this where people saying city governance is not meant to be political. If you want to be political, you ought to have run at a different level. And what I think that is, is that conservative uh, foot dragging, if I can call it that, on sustainability is framed as non-political, whereas serious action on this stuff is framed as political. And so I think there's some work for us to do to say we actually ran on political platforms. Folks had a choice between competing political visions, and these are the ones that run out or won out. And so that means we have a mandate um, to do what we said we were going to do. And I think this sort of business about hidden agendas is, is a real mistaken sense of how votes work and how democracy works. We had very open agendas and we won on those. And now we owe it to those folks to do what we can to further them. Yeah, I, I have one question for Dan before, uh, before he goes. Um, in future, can we refer to you as a ringleader, LeBlanc, instead of counselor? Uh, you cannot. Um, but I would love to earn that nickname someday. So if I'm ever fitting of it, I will take it. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Great. Okay. Thanks, folks. That was fun. Okay. Thanks a lot, Cheryl. All right. Nice to chat. The Queen City Improvement Bureau would like to acknowledge the Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District for their support of our show. The Regina Warehouse Business Improvement District. Improving the district where there are warehouses in Regina. We're back from Innovative Revenue Tools. Oh, yes. Yes, we are. I understand that we have a sponsor. We have a sponsor. Do we? Do we? 
We do. Tell us about this sponsor who was uh, sponsoring this here set series of meetings. Uh, they are the Warehouse Business Improvement District. Maybe you've heard of them. Uh, yes, but w- we don't sell warehouses. Why are they sponsoring us? I don't know. I guess that we're big with the sorts of people who frequent warehouses. I suppose we're in their prime demographic. People who dwell in the rafters of warehouses, people who crawl along the walls of warehouses, they love our show. So, uh, yeah. So thanks to them for uh, supporting us and for supporting community radio, like 91.3 FM CJTR. Tuned into the community. Uh, But we have another guest, Aiden. You, You keep on throwing surprises like this at me. And I love it. Uh, we have uh, Professor Emily Eaton from the University of Regina. How are you doing, Emily? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? I'm really good. You have been watching this saga of the uh, sponsorship naming rights and advertising policy, uh, I understand. Yes, with great interest. Um, you've also written some books on uh, the oil industry in Saskatchewan. And so I figured you might have some expertise in the kinds of responses that people will get for um, saying anything about oil in Saskatchewan. When this amendment about uh, excluding oil from the list of uh, businesses that could advertise with the city uh, passed at executive committee, were you surprised by the vociferous response that uh, landed in council's lap? Well, I guess yes and no. I think it was sort of unprecedented how Scott Moe threatened the city's budget. um, And that seemed to galvanize, you know, a lot of um, people to come to his, to the defense of the oil industry. But certainly folks like John Gormley, um, other players who operate more behind the scenes, like the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, and some of their campaigns to try to get um, people's voices, who especially oil workers' voices, um, in the media and um, calling for, um, you know, no discussion of, of phasing out the oil industry. That is not new at all um, and probably could have been predicted. About the, the Premier's response, uh, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, the Premier taking to Twitter to threaten the city's, uh, the city's finances. Do, do you have a theory about what's going on there? Not really. I mean, several other people pointed out that of course, it had been a bad week for Mo. Um, the, the number of deaths in a single day was at its highest um, last week, whatever day that was, Tuesday, I think it was. Um, and also Keystone XL had just been nixed by um, the new president of the United States. So I think he was feeling, you know, defensive and um, wanting to distract. But Aside from that, it is interesting because the motion, like the Renewable Regina motion, has been around for several years and been debated a lot in the previous city council. I wonder also about, you know, sort of Sandra Masters' ties to the, to the Sask party. And I know that, for example, although the previous mayor was certainly quite um, right wing and um, operated in the interests of, you know, the developers and other interests like that. I don't think he was a friend of the SAS party, or at least I'd heard that the SAS party wasn't, didn't think that they could count on him. And I think maybe Sandra Masters is uh, more someone that they see themselves 
being able to control. And so maybe this was also, you know, a first attempt to, yeah, rein in the council and also shows flex some muscle, I guess, with the new mayor. Because I guess there had been all those stories about this being a very progressive council and they wanted to make sure that this progressive council knew uh, who buttered their bread. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I have no idea what motiv- motivated Scott Moe um, in that particular week. Just more broadly, right? He's very... Like when I was doing my interviews with even people within the oil industry, like people who own local oil companies, um, this was previous to Scott Moe, but they would always say they had a really tight and cozy relationship with the premier. They could call him up on his cell phone and talk to him whenever they wanted. And I think that same sort of relationship um, continued with Scott Moe. And so like, we know he always sides with an ax in the interests of oil. Um, have you, when you, I, I have a theory. Ooh. Uh, and I think it's a pretty good one. All okay. right, let's hear it. Scott Moe is a time traveler from the future who knows that like the future depends on that one motion not being passed. So this is this was the mission he came back to accomplish. Oh my god, do you do you know uh what would have happened if it had passed? Uh it would have led to uh like a falling demand for oil and gas and a future mostly dependent on renewables and reduced consumption, uh, letting humanity actually flourish into the 21st and 22nd centuries despite some warming. Uh, In his version, the rich live in like little bunkers underground and uh, and have like slaves up above ground. uh, So yeah, and that's what they like. So that's, that's the future that they're working to ensure. I had no idea that putting advertisements on the boards of our outdoor skating rink would be so powerful. Butterfly effect. <laughs> they, 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 they want a future where actually all the butterflies are extinct. So the butterfly effect won't even like be a problem in the future. To reduce chaos. <laughs> yep, killing absolutely. Butterflies. That's, that's right. Make a more right. stable future for, 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 for a few people with, with no butterflies. Emily. When you were doing your interviews and stuff and traveling around and writing on the oil industry, did you face pushback like this? Um, no, not when I was doing my research um, because it was a sort of like you could, well, you could call it, I guess, a little bit of an ethnographic project. Like I was, you know, traveling around to these rural communities and spending time in them and talking to a wide variety of people. And I am concerned about the future of um, oil workers and those rural communities. And so I was having conversations, you know, honest conversations about that. And I think despite the polarization that this has caused, there is a way for people to have rational conversations about this. And I think like a lot of people who I met did not feel threatened by somebody who was interested in the work that they were doing and the future of their industry. And so I had a lot of really nice and great conversations during that research. It was more afterwards Um, Even after I wrote the book with photographer Valerie Zink about the oil industry in Saskatchewan, the editor or the, sorry, the main journalist at the Pipeline News, which is like Saskatchewan's oil and gas magazine, he read the book and he reviewed it in Pipeline News. And I had gotten to know him from my time in um, Southeast Saskatchewan. And he wrote a very favorable review of the book. And it wasn't until later when, for example, he and I were friends on Facebook, and he kind of discovered just how 
you know, that I was going to anti-pipeline protests and what my vision of the future would be that he really turned against me and started like publishing things off my Facebook page in the pipeline news and ranting against me on like in all sorts of spaces, including some oil industry conference type thing where he talked about me for like 10 minutes and then posted the video on his Twitter. It was really strange. Um, so I had to cut him off. And um, of course, once Gormley knows you, um, that's another big source of spreading hatred as well. Um, but I think when people, you know, it's too bad because absent the ways in which Gormley and types like him want people to engage. It's actually quite easy to engage in these conversations with oil workers or others um, who are in oil producing communities and, and really dependent on the oil economy for their futures. You, you mentioned that you, uh, you know, you're concerned about uh, the you know, oil workers. And I know a lot of uh, climate campaigners share that concern about the future of, uh, you know, where will oil workers go if this uh, industry dies? And yet the climate campaigners have been set up as the enemies of the oil workers and vice versa. You seem to be suggesting that it's, it's almost at the intrusion of actors like Gormley and Moe that this, uh, this conflict is maintained. Yeah, I've seen it become a lot worse since Trudeau has been elected, actually, because there's always this sense in rural Saskatchewan, you know, that this sort of Western alienation, right? And that was really fueled by this intense hatred of Trudeau and then his carbon pricing policies. And so it just really exacerbated, I think, with that. But there is a perception in rural Saskatchewan that, you know, urban environmentalists don't understand and don't know what it's like in many places in rural Saskatchewan. And I think there's some truth in that. But I think as humans, we can get together and discuss these problems. I know Climate Justice Saskatoon did some really interesting research actually on the coal phase out in Coronac and Estevan. And they went to those communities and they took this sort of narrative approach of saying like, this is our stories. This is who we are. This is why we care about climate change. Tell us your story of um, based on living here. Is there a place where our stories overlap? Is there a place that we can like start a conversation from? And they actually found a lot of convergence around um, the fact that these communities felt very abandoned by the federal and provincial governments, that nobody was asking them about what they wanted and what the future would be like. And the Climate Justice Saskatoon folks said, you know, we feel the same way about climate change, that this machine is rolling ahead and destroying our futures. Um, and we, we can't, nobody has asked us what we think. No one will listen to what we um, imagine the possibilities to be. So it was kind of some interesting research. But yeah, certainly fossil fuel interests want there to be no place where these two supposed sides can talk to one another. Uh, just an aside, do you think do you think Trudeau's carbon pricing could have worked out better if somebody less pretty had pitched the <laughs> idea? Ooh. Even yeah, even more of a villain or less yeah. of a villain. Yeah. Less 
it, it was a, it was a conservative idea, right? And I'm just wondering if maybe if it had been a conservative, a pudgy conservative, <laughs> like an Aaron O'Toole saying, "Oh, we've got to choose a market, a market-driven solution to climate change," that everybody would be all on board. It is funny, right? Because it is a really right-wing policy, pro-market policy, as you as you suggest. Yeah. Well, yeah, one hundred percent. I mean, for me, it's sort of my it was my co- my compromise position that, okay, well, I'll accept this idea of carbon pricing because we're clearly not going to get show trials. So, (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, there is a debate about, like, a lot of people on the left, on the climate left, think that uh, policy in in line with something like Green New Deal um, allows more, like, everyday and working class folks to join up to that policy because... You know, the carbon tax is felt as this like imposition of costs on certain people's lives. And if you think of some of the policies behind the Green New Deal, they could actually make people's lives better. Right. So in the United States, there's a big push for, you know, Medicare for all and jobs guarantee. And these are things that people across um, the fossil fuel divide can really rally behind um, and that they that people can understand is actually making their lives better rather than imposing costs on them when you know what have the elite done so we're on 91.3 fm cjtr tuned into the community and we're speaking Correct. With, we're speaking with dr emily eaton about the uh, sponsorship policy and the uh the hullabaloo that it has created when this was uh, pitched where did you where do you stand? Like, do you think it was a good idea, this uh, excluding fossil fuels from advertising with the city? Well, I think it's consistent with the renewable Regina motion. If we, by design, are going to phase out fossil fuels within 30 years, then why would we need to find space for them um, in terms of allowing them to advertise on city property or um, sponsor city buildings, etc.? So I think it was certainly consistent with the renewable Regina policy. I defended it because it was out there. Um, was it the best strategy? Maybe not. <laughs> but also who knew that Mo would jump in in the way that he did? You know, I, I've heard Dan talk about how it was too much too soon, which is kind of scary because it really wasn't much at all. And I worry about the other policies that are going to need to be passed in order to achieve that target that they've set. Um, which are going to be much, you know, going to make much more of a difference to people's everyday lives. I don't think whether fossil fuel companies advertise on city property really affects anybody, <laughs> particularly, <laughs> um, except for maybe the the bosses, the owners of those industries. I am worried about it, but I think it's worth defending the problem. You know, you asked me here tonight because you wanted to talk about that sort of culture of silence and the backlash associated with speaking so-called against fossil fuels. And I think what we need in Saskatchewan, it's just really hard to have a conversation about these things. Um, The fossil fuel industry, um, its lobby and the people that it has mobilized are quick in terms of um, jumping on folks and initiating a backlash. And I think that too many um, politicians and people in public arenas have shied away from speaking about these issues. And I think we're never gonna get to 100% renewable if we can't start to talk about them. It has to start somewhere. Somebody has to say something. Some, you know, The NDP won't say a thing. 
In fact, they'll usually side with the fossil fuel industries. That doesn't help us have a have any political space um, or public space to talk about um, the future of fossil fuels in our society. And so we need people to even just open the conversations wherever possible and to keep talking about it. Because if people are silenced and if we do fall victim to these tactics, um, then it just perpetuates this spiral of nobody feeling like they can talk about these things in our community. How are you feeling after this? Like, I guess I'm concerned that people are going to come away from this if they are supportive of environmental initiatives at council, uh, feeling pretty demoralized and that things are, you know, even with councillors who've explicitly said, and even a mayor who's explicitly said that they believe in the renewable Regina motion, uh, that they'll come away feeling like, well, it's hopeless. I mean, even these good people can't get the teeniest incremental change past a council. Like, are you okay? (laughs) I don't know how I feel. Um, I feel very disappointed. I would have liked to have seen the motion stand, even if it didn't pass. Because I think, as I said, I think when we cower to the bullies, um, we only empower them. I know that the costs of speaking in this way um, about the impacts of fossil fuels and the needs to phase, phase them out are significant and severe. And I think like I have a lot of empathy for the counselors who received all sorts of types of like really terrible threats, including to their own well businesses in the case of Mancinelli, Mancinelli but also their employment in the case of a bunch of other um, counselors their employment outside of council. And so I'm not, you know, I felt I've felt that myself a lot. um, And I know how awful it feels to be on the receiving end of that. But I also do think that um, we won't be able to achieve, as you say, any of those objectives in the renewable Regina mandate, um, without people sticking to their guns. And it is going to require some difficult decisions. Everybody likes the idea, like the previous council, you know, they like the idea of holding up this um, policy as this positive thing that everybody could unite around. And I think it is really important. Like, I think that's what the Green New Deal is all about, is trying to make climate change policy positive and something that people feel they're winning from and and not losing from. But I do think it's going to mean some really tough decisions um, for the future of the city. And it's not just you know, we can keep adding renewable energy, but as long as we're just adding that to the mix, um, adding that to the mix that we already have and increasing our overall energy consumption, we're not getting to 100% renewable. So I am worried about, I'm very worried about the tough decisions that are going to need to be made down the road and whether we have the community backing to see them through and whether the councillors will be able to um, have the guts to stick with it. I listened to Gormley. Oh, no. The uh, day after that motion. Why? 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 So I had to listen to Gormley uh, talk about this issue. And he mentioned the Gang of Five, as he calls them. And he has nothing good to say about them because they're all radical leftists, as he referred to them. The bulk of his opprobrium was for Mancinelli. He was so cross about Mancinelli, a man who works on cars, having an idea that didn't sync up with Gormley's idea of what a man who works on cars is worried about. So basically Mancinelli was an apostate. Yeah. 
in, in, the, in the church of oil and gas. Okay. Yeah. It's so weird. Their understanding of like all they can do, like I've been fighting with a couple people on Twitter in the last few days, which I'm not normally on Twitter. They just have no other, like they, they truly have no understanding of what the so-called other side is up to. Like they think the gotcha is that like, whoa, everybody, you know, how'd you get here today? How did you heat your home? And they have no other arguments. And when mm-hmm. you talk about phasing out fossil fuels, they're just incredulous. Like they just, yeah, we'll do that over 30 years. <laughs> but you can't. We all depend on it. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like you're suggesting that we'll phase out fossil fuels and replace it with nothing. We'll just sit in the dark and freeze. <laughs> like I, I think that's seriously what they think. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the discourse too. We're if you know, those who are serious about it are turning the clock back. We're going back to the dark ages. All of of this. course. What's next for you? And what do you think needs to be done so that uh, council can move forward on the renewable city, uh, the renewable city motion? Oh, boy. Um, well, I think that within the city administration, they're beefing up their team a little bit, which it's or. That's sort of what I've heard. I'm not sure how true that is, but they need to do that. The city administration needs to have some good people working on this um, because the councillors in the end, you know, they're going to look at the reports from the city admin and make some decisions based on what's in those reports. So that's one place. And I think like I'm really worried now about their engagement process that the city has, because I know that they're trying to you know, represent all sides. And there's going to be some voices at the table who are representing fossil fuel interests that, of course, are going to speak more loudly than everybody else and intimidate people into silence. So I'm worried about that, what's actually going to come out of the administration. I am worried about the long lasting effects of this being one of the first steps out of the gate for this new council and whether people will be intimidated in the future. I hope that I think what's great about several of the new councillors is they're not like career politicians. They don't necessarily need to be on council for the rest of their lives (laughs) or even for 10 years. I think some of them would be willing to be one-term councillors if they could get some good things done for the city. But I think that those councillors can't do it without a really strong movement of residents. And so just as like the tactics that the fossil fuel industry has used, I think are really smart. Unfortunately, it's them who's used them, but they have for many years now put a lot of resources behind elevating, seeking out and elevating fossil fuel workers' voices um, that will represent the interests of the industry um, on putting together like toolkits that citizens can use when contacting their elected officials, talking points, how to um, respond to online media, what kinds of comments to make, etc. And I would really like it too if, you know, I think the environmental movement within the city um, needs to step its game up and ensure that our voices are being heard as well, that the narrative around this begins to become normalized, like it's it's actually okay to talk about um, the future of the planet and that that future actually involves a few things, right? Like phasing out the fossil fuel industry. Yes, it will be painful for some people, but if we can put in the right supports for those workers, 
you know, there, there aren't, luckily there aren't actually that many of them. Um, so it would be easy to support them. And I really hope that the unions will have a um, role to play here because they, I think the unions have allowed their membership to be courted too much by the fossil fuel industry and those types of, those types of um, industry organizations. And they have a role to play here to take the narrative back as well. And also to ensure, right, that their workers are going to be taken care of in a transition. It's actually in their interest. So a couple of years ago in 2019 in the fall, I went to a national Unifor con, um, convention. It was in held in Saskatoon. It was a national convention on just transition. And those unions are already, they know that the writing is on the wall. They, they know that fossil fuels will be phased out and they're thinking ahead about how do we protect our workers' pensions? How do we unionize new workplaces so that we have places to employ people outside of the fossil fuel industries? And I'm really hoping that despite that being a Unifor um, conference, those conversations are less happening at the local level. And I'm hoping, hoping that the union movement will also come on board with, with a just transition, I guess. Okay, well, uh, thanks a lot. We are just about out of time here. So uh, okay. thanks for uh, taking time out of your day to, uh, to talk to us about this. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And that's it. I think we have to move for an adjournment. All right. Uh, well, I, I second that motion. Uh, I third it. All right. Well, then, meeting adjourned. You have been listening to uh, Queen City Improvement Bureau at 91.3 FM CJTR. Uh, tune into the community. You can find us on queencityib.com, cgtr.ca. And we are broadcast 7 to 8 uh, live on Thursday evenings and rebroadcast Monday afternoons 3 to 4 p.m. Uh, also find us on Twitter at Queen City. Queen City IB. It's Queen City IB. And remember, folks, that's Improvement Bureau, not Irritable Bowel. Stop DMing us. Uh, coming up next, we've got the Nerdcore Cabaret with Matty V, and then we've got uh, the Cockpit, and then music all on through the night. Thanks again to Emily Eaton for uh, for being our guest, as well as Councillor Vilbank and Stadenchuk. That's all. Keep on improving, Regina. <laughs>